is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hi there, everybody. My name is Chris. And my name is Jason. And this is The Talking Dead, number 481, recorded Tuesday, April the 7th, 2020. Jason, how you doing this fine week? I'm hanging in there. How you holding up, Chris? Good. Holding up myself. Haven't left the house in many, many days. Well, left You've the house. You've gone outside, right? I haven't left the property in many, many days. Oh, I see. Um, you know, only going out as absolutely necessary getting a little bit of exercise, playing some basketball with the kids in the driveway. But other than that, I am just hanging around, trying to do my thing and staying home. Yep. Me too. Been around the block a couple of times with Jasper. You need to, uh, you need to take him out for walks. He needs his exercise. Yeah, he definitely needs his exercise. It's funny though, when you, uh, other people come in the other way, they just fucking scatter. Yeah. Right? Like people will like cross the street as soon as they see you. And uh, it's, I, I understand it. And it makes sense, but it's still upsetting. I mean, it's, I'm, I'm not yet used to this new world we're living in right now, you know? And that happens too if, if we go out for a walk around the block or whatever. People, people move off to the, to the street so they can have a wide berth around you. But yeah. I, I don't, it's hard to imagine at this time going back to the way it was like two months ago. When, well, it won't. When I you mean, can, it's going to take, this is going to take years to mentally, financially, you know, recover. This is, this is significant. I mean, it just, it upsets me though, to think about the fact that, yeah, for, for a long time, I'm not going to be able to go out anywhere and worry about touching stuff or getting too close to people, you know, or, or even like breathing in their air, you know, it. I just find that so weird and a little bit upsetting. Yeah, it is. It's very upsetting. And you know? I, I don't like it. I'm, I mean, neighbors are nice. You stay within, you know, lying down distance, as we talked about. Yeah. and uh, Or farther. That's all good and stuff, but uh, just random people on the streets, crossing the street, going into the street, walking on the grass, just just dodging right out of your way. Uh, or you doing the same. Mm-hmm. Like somebody coming up behind you, so you pull into a driveway. Uh, well, you know, with a wagon, so right? You pull into the uh, a driveway and stand aside so that they can pass, and it's uh, it's weird. It's it's disconcerting. It is because I like I love hanging out with my neighbors. We have really really cool neighbors, and they're great friends and great people. Um, but like, let's say in six months from now, when this is hopefully somewhat behind us. Are we going to be able to like go over, hang out on their deck and have a couple of beers and a barbecue and not have to worry about one of us having been out somewhere and encountered somebody that is infected and we bring it back home into our own little family circles? That sucks. Yeah. And, and you won't know for a week. And that's what I worry about. So yeah. it's a bummer, but. It is. You know. Speaking of neighbors, my neighbors, I can see from my kitchen, I can see the top maybe fifth of their television. Okay. Right. So as I'm, cause they don't have curtains or anything in their basement and stuff, but I can see the top fifth, but I, I've noticed over the last couple of weeks that they're having a, uh, a Marvel cinematic universe marathon, Ooh. but they're doing it in an odd way. Like they watch Captain Marvel. And then later on I saw Thor and then uh winter soldier and then the incredible Hulk. It was just like, 
don't you know what order they go in? Like, holy crap, people. Well, point number one, maybe they do. They've already seen them in order, and now they're just going back to their favorites. Or they don't care. <laughs> yeah, I guess they don't care. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, uh, I, f- I find that fun and upsetting. Well, yeah, I can <laughs> see that. I can see that. But in a much less serious way. Type it up on onto a piece of paper, print it out, go stick it in their mailbox in the middle of the night one night and say, look, folks, here's the correct order. Um, please follow the protocol. Yeah, I could just text them. Uh, I have, you know, have their cell phone numbers. I just text them the link to the Wikipedia page. Well, there you go. Lists them in order. So, there you which go. is what I did when I went through my last marathon. All right. Anyway, and I, you know, I could send them a piece of paper or a text saying, hey, by the way, I've been spying on you yeah, and yeah. I've noticed you've been watching, <laughs> you know, Marvel. So Watch them in order. I got this or really watch porn. Like, I got this come on. really good telescope, and you know, sometimes I point it at the moon. Sometimes I point it in your window. I'm just saying. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, before we get into our recap of the latest episode of The Walking Dead, which is, of course, what we are here to do today, I just want to, on a bit of a lighter note, Jason, today is April the seventh, and I need to wish you a happy International Beaver Day. Oh, nice. Yeah. Now, do is, they have to be international beavers? No, they don't. Is it don't. just uh, Beaver Day around the world? It's Beaver Day around the world, yeah. It, it is a day that aims to celebrate and raise awareness of the plight of this adorable rodent with a big flat tail. Plight? What a- plight? Apparently. Are, they, are they, they in trouble? <laughs> well, you know what? That's a really good question, but that, that comes from the, uh, the website that I read about International Beaver Day on, so... I hope beavers are doing okay because they're basically the international or the uh, national animal of Canada. Yeah. Maybe beavers and moose, but. The, might, the mighty beaver. Yeah, exactly. The beaver is the, is the, is the, the official national animal. The mouse, moose, mouse. The moose is unofficial. Okay. I mean, the beaver is on our money, so that makes it pretty official. So is a moose. That's true. <laughs> or is it a deer? No, I think it's a moose. It's a moose. Okay. All right. I don't know. Either way, um, I did a search on Twitter for hashtag beaver day. (laughs) For beavers? No, beaver day. (laughs) I did an image search for beavers to see what would come up. No, I'm pretty sure I know what would come up if if I did that. But I did beaver day on Twitter and I was pleasantly surprised by the results because they were remarkably inoffensive. um, Unless you find pictures of beavers offensive, but maybe you do, maybe you don't. It depends on the beaver. I think it might, yeah. <laughs> Anyways. But that's it, it just, it might be one of those words, the plight of the beaver. It might just be one of those, uh, you know, the words where the, the meaning is clear, but the connotations uh, have a separate meaning. Right. right. Where, you know, like the difference between aroma and stink. They have the huh. same meaning. They both mean smell, but uh-huh. they have different connotations. They do. Right. So the plight of the beaver might be, they're doing fine. Well, that's true. Right. E- either way, though, I'm going to name them my next band, Plight of the Beaver. Yeah, okay. It's like Flight of the Concords. Right. Flight of the Beaver. Flight of the Beaver, yeah. Yeah, okay. That's very Canadian. I think it, I think it is. It's perfect. All right. Well, enjoy uh, Beaver Day, everybody. It is now time to recap Season 10, Episode 15 of The Walking Dead. And this is the, for now, season finale. Yeah, the season finale-ish. Ish, right, because the episode 16 isn't coming until later this year. We don't know when, so this is it. This is it for now, and I think we can talk as we go through and when we get to the end on how we feel about that. But um, let's start here uh, with this episode. It is called The Tower, 
I'm a little disappointed that no one sent a title read for this one. I don't know why. Everybody's busy. I guess everyone's busy. They're all busy staying home celebrating Beaver Day. Yeah, or, you know, dealing with the garbage that we all have to deal with on a daily basis now. The garbage that is this planet today. All right. Um, so we start this episode, Jason, with Eugene, Ezekiel, and Yumiko, and Princess, who uh, they've encountered at the end of last episode. The four of them chat for a little bit. They debate whether Princess was threatening them, which is an interesting debate. And she calls the zombie displays that Ezekiel found so funny her decorations, and she says it's what's been keeping her busy lately. Yeah. Something to do. Setting them up, exactly. Uh, There's a funny bit as they're discussing things about how she's princess and not queen because queen would make her sound old and pretentious. And then Ezekiel steps forward and nearly introduces himself as the king, but he, but he hesitates and just says Ezekiel, which I thought was funny. That's funny. It is. It was funny. Uh, princess offers to show them the best way through the city. And after she does this, some zombies start approaching from behind. Princess takes her big gun, whatever it is. I don't know what kind of weapon it is, but it's big and it's loud. And she opens fire on them which spooks their horses, and they run off the opposite direction, so now they've lost their horses. Okay, so it's important to, to know, I don't, I don't quite know what that firearm is called either. I think it's called a saw. Uh, squad something. Okay. Weapon, support weapon of some kind. So uh, it is not the kind of firearm that you can aim and deal with recoil with every shot. It's kind of, uh, you Pull the trigger, and if you're holding it, uh, first of all, it's supposed to be like bipod mounted or tripod mounted, uh, mm-hmm. but you could hold it and carry it and shoot it. But if you do that, uh, it's a spray and pray kind of thing. It's not a precise weapon. It's more more of a, you know, lay down covering fire, uh-huh. uh, shoot everything in sight. So the fact that uh, she's shooting through these three people <laughs> yeah. at a group of zombies and doesn't kill everybody, including the horses, is insane. I mean, so, she's had a lot of years of practice with it, maybe? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter? I don't think it matters. I think it's it's the kind of thing that, uh, first of all, it's exceedingly heavy, especially with a full drum. Like, it's not just a magazine that's in that thing. It's like a 200-pound or 200-round drum in, in, that, uh, in that thing. The people that carry that are very beefy people mm-hmm. with a lot of, you know, practiced muscles. And mostly it's just for carrying it. And when they pull the trigger... It's, it's rock and roll time. It's not, you know, trying to take out a couple of, uh, right. Uh, right. You know, people at range and you want to be accurate. It's not an accurate weapon. I mean, she does, t- the bullets tear through those zombies like nothing, man. They, they come apart. Yeah. Okay. Well. So, and that's what that would do. It, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a support weapon, which. But it's not supposed to be used in this manner. Sure. Well, if anyone out there with more knowledge on what this weapon is, what it's called, and you know if Jason's right, let us know. Send an email in and let us know because I'm I'm curious about it. It's it seems like a pretty badass gun. It is, and you know to be fair, Princess did have good trigger discipline. Her finger was not on that trigger until she was ready to use it, mm-hmm. and so that's good. So she's had some training. Like I know the actress went through training. Every time you hold a, even a fake weapon, you go through training. But the uh, but princess herself, uh, I would think that she had training if she had that kind of trigger discipline. All right. Well, that's good. Um, she also put on goggles before she shot it, so safety first. 
Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, you ever got a hot round uh, fired out of the ejection port uh, down your shirt? uh, You'll know to button up. (laughs) You'll know. Yes. (laughs) It's very, very hot. All right. That's good. Good advice. After our opening credits, though, we come back and we're, you know, with Ezekiel and the other two, and they're debating how they should proceed. They decide to agree to let Princess help them by leading them to a garage full of quote unquote transportation as she says. Mm. Uh, Yumiko doesn't trust her at all, but the two guys decide that they do. And, you know, as they're going, Yumiko asks her to hand over her gun and Princess, you know, reluctantly agrees to do that and leads them off into the city. Well, that's nice. It is. We cut over to Beta and he is leading his horde of zombies into Alexandria and they just kind of walk through the gate, I thought. Yeah. Well, good for them. Yeah, it didn't seem like anything was stopping them, so they do that. Uh, We don't see anything more of that right away. Um, Now we go over to all the rest of, or most of the rest of the people we know, former Alexandrians and former Hilltoppers and so on. They are taking refuge in, in an old hospital, which is what they call the Tower. So that's where the title of the episode comes from. And I thought this scene was pretty cool because it starts with this great long take of the camera moving around the building and characters just doing things and going about, you know, what their, their jobs, I guess, at that moment in this, in this, uh, old hospital. And it's kind of following Judith, but we see people looking out the windows, like, I guess they're on watch looking for enemies. Uh, We see Lydia sorting some berries or something. Negan walks past in the background with a dead possum, which I thought was funny. Um, Father Gabe is learning some signs from Kelly. Carol is chatting with Magda. And Luke is working on something. Looks like he's connecting some batteries or something like that with Jules, who is, uh, you know, his love interest from from Oceanside. And the camera just kind of swings through the whole environment as they're all doing this. And I thought it was a really cool shot and gave us a feeling of just everybody doing their job, doing what they're supposed to be doing in this place at that moment. Yeah. And that whole scene was that one long shot. Like there was no edits after the long shot or cuts. Like as soon as that long shot is over, which ends on Carol, we cut away to, to, uh, well, you'll tell us, but uh, I really, I really enjoyed that long shot and those are hard to coordinate. Like that takes uh, just as long, if not longer to do than blocking a whole scene uh, with a whole bunch of different shots. Sure. I mean, you, you trade all the setup time that you take for a bunch of different shots. You trade in getting everyone coordinated and working together, right? And how, and having people move around in the environment without affecting the, without, you know, getting in the way of the camera view or whatever, because we do see the camera go past Father Gabe learning some signs, some sign language from Kelly, but then a minute later he comes in from the other direction and he's talking to somebody else. So I, I mean, I guess there could have been a disguised cut there, but to me it looked like one continuous shot. To me too. And yeah. I really enjoy the the long shot. There's some long shots, like in movies, mm-hmm. when they do long shots, I really like that. Like in Goodfellas, you remember the long shot from Goodfellas where they're going in uh, through the kitchen of the restaurant and they end up in the, uh, uh, in, in the restaurant, but they have to go through the kitchen. I don't particularly remember it, but it's been a long time. The one I can think of is 
well, also from an older movie at this point, but um, Children of Men. There's a lot of good long oh, yeah. shots in that. And more recently, I haven't seen it, but apparently 1917, the Oscar-nominated movie this year, the entire movie is supposed to be one shot. So Really? I'm very, very curious to see that. Really want to. Man, if only I could carve out some time to watch some something. Yeah. I it know. was really difficult to watch this episode before we podcasted about it, by the way. Well. Uh, you know, my first viewing is about, was it 9.30 now? It's about an hour old. Ooh. Maybe an hour and a half. Well, I'm glad you fit it in. Um, <laughs> it's tough. <laughs> it's tough. I get it. I know it's difficult. Uh, anyways, this whole thing, this whole sequence ends back on Luke and he says that he needs somebody to run an errand for him and Carol volunteers. Yeah. Why not? Why not? That's right. We go to Daryl in the forest on the radio and he's trying to radio Michonne and tell her not to go home. And he says, he mentions, basically tell her not to go home because, you know, home isn't there anymore. So you got to come find us. But he also mentions they have a plan to end this, which um, he doesn't really get into, of course, on the radio. So I'm curious about what he's talking about there. and. he also mentions that, you know, they're sort of on the run again and just scraping by. And he says it reminds him of the old gang, which I thought was a sort of fun way to have a really subtle callback to the, the, the good old days of The Walking Dead, you know, when, when it was Rick and Maggie and Glenn and everybody and they were on the run and yep. not really able to, you know, just settle down anywhere for a while. Always on the move. I liked that a lot. Yeah. Back to Beta. And him and his horde have gathered around the windmill in Alexandria. Beta and a couple of his whisperer lackeys are up on top of the windmill on the ledge there. They realize that nobody is around. And one of them says that it looks like they fled quickly. Hmm. So that's, They left the engines running and the candles on and yep. stuff like that. You know, the, uh, the, the stuff was still on the table, you know, smoke mm-hmm. still coming out of the cigarettes in the ashtrays. Right, of, of course, and like <laughs> fires still burning in fireplaces, things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um so they're up there, you know, deciding what to do and we discover, the audience discovers that Alden and Aaron are hiding higher up in the windmill on the inside of it watching them. Now Beta almost catches a glimpse of Alden, but he didn't. And then the whispers decide to walk to Oceanside because maybe that's where everyone's gone to and that's where they're hiding. Yeah. So you think this was the plan that they would, everybody get the hell out of Alexandria uh, and leave them up in the, uh, uh, the tower in order to, uh, to observe and report? Um, or did they get trapped up there? No, this is part of the plan. I think they're definitely, they're definitely involved in the plan, Alden and Aaron, this is step number one. I don't know what the rest of it is, though. Right. Okay. Well, it's really dumbassery for them to be up there just looking out windows. Like, it's <laughs> uh, bring a mirror or something. Like, uh, it's every time there's a million zombies out in the uh, in Alexandria, it is a big horde of zombies. Yeah. And, in, you know, intermixed among them is a bunch of whispers, which you can't tell the whispers from the zombies from a distance. And they're sticking their heads out. Uh, hoping that nobody sees them. And they got, you know, lucky once where, you know, Beta had his, uh, obviously he has, you know, ESP because he can sense when somebody's looking at him. But 
the fact that they didn't get caught at all is absolutely ridiculous. I mean, it is kind of lucky. I, I hear what you're saying, but they're there to hide and, and scout out what's going on. Oh, and I'll tell you how. Okay. I got two, two things that they could do to, uh, to not get, uh, spotted. One is if they had a little bit of a t- time to prepare, drill a couple of holes in the, uh, the side of the, uh, uh, it wasn't the windmill. Was it the windmill? Yeah, it was the windmill. They were up okay. top of the windmill. All right. It was in the windmill. Draw, draw, drill some holes so you can, you know, peek out them. That's one. And two, don't stand next to the window when you're looking out it. Stand back a few feet in the shadows because- Outside sunshine, inside in the shadows, people can't see you. Right. Like if you're walking down the street, if you ever get to walk down the street again and look into windows of uh, people's homes, uh, if it's daytime and they're not standing right at the window, you can't see them. Right. Which I do all the time. So yeah. I, I'm aware if of it's that. At, if it's at night and the lights are on, then you can see them. Oh yeah. And they can't see, and they can't see you is the other thing <laughs> is that if they're in there and the light is on, they can't see out the windows. Yeah. So, you know, walk through their yards if you feel like it, because they can't see you. So just, there's some very basic precautions they could have gone through to not be spotted and not standing right next to the window and looking out it. They would totally be spotted. Yeah. I feel like they would. I mean, I didn't even think about all the whisperers that were down on the ground amongst the herd, like looking straight up, they would definitely see Alden's head poking around that corner there. Now think of snipers, right? You've seen movies with snipers in them? I have. And do snipers like lean on the windows and point their rifles out the window in order to shoot? Well, in movies sometimes. Well, yeah, if they're dumbasses, but if, you know, the ones where they're, you know, trying to show that the sniper is a professional, they're like five feet away from the window set up on a table. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. So they're, they're lying down prone. They're on top of a table that maybe prop the table up a few feet on top of blocks or books or, you know, dead bodies. I don't know, but <laughs> right. uh, they're not right at the window because that's how you get spotted. Yeah. Is by standing right next to the window. And like job number one is not to get spotted. Yes. Even job with, number two, run away. Okay. Well, even with, <laughs> with Alden and Aaron here, job number one, not get spotted. Job number two is report back, I guess, about what's going on. Yeah. And Aaron's got a grease pencil uh, stuck in his fake arm and he's writing notes on his arm. You think if they'd had some time to prepare, they would have brought a notebook, like a piece of paper or something. I guess. Yeah. Or maybe a Sharpie, something would be better to write on. Well, I mean, the grease marker's fine because it'll write on the, uh, on, on the metal. Uh, so that's, that's all well and good, but you know, worst case scenario, y- your mace arm is going to be covered in blood. It's going to be very difficult to read those uh, notes that you're taking. <laughs> That's true. Just tuck a, wrote it on a piece of paper or in a notebook, put that in your pocket, less blood on it, maybe. Hopefully. Hopefully, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, after all that, we go to a commercial break and we come back to everyone in the tower and Lydia is there. She's petting a cat. Judith comes to talk to her who and she apologizes about Lydia's mom. Lydia says that she doesn't miss her and that not everybody gets to have a mom like Judith's. So she's, she's, you know, grieving that a little bit, trying to recover from it. We see Carol and Kelly leaving the area. They go and take a couple of horses to do whatever they need to do. And then all of a sudden we cut to Judith, who's in the forest alone, uh, killing zombies. So just... Flashback or flash forward? Neither. I think it's just a little bit later. 
Okay. So it was, you know, it was a jump cut it, into the future, but it's not a flashback to like three days ago or something. No, right? it, I don't think so. It's not a flashback. It's just a cut to some time in the future. I found it slightly jarring though, just because it felt like a second ago she was inside talking to Lydia, but now, and now she's out here, but I get it. It's, you know, time passed. Um, I wish I could have jump cuts. There's a lot of things I'd like to skip. Yeah. Just yada, yeah. yada over just, and. Just yada, yada over. But then again, you know, life is, is very short mm-hmm. and we spend a lot of our times waiting for things to be over. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want to jump ahead too far too often. Yeah, that's true. Right. But a little bit. Maybe a little, little bit. bit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, she's in the forest. She kills a zombie. Daryl approaches and he's kind of surprised to find her there. He wants to take her back, but Judith convinces him to let her walk the perimeter with him. And she says she wants to learn what he does to keep them safe. And, uh, you know, he hesitates, but he, Daryl reluctantly agrees to let her hang out for a while. Uh, Beta and the group on the way to Oceanside, he starts talking to himself about Alexandrians not being fools and that this is wrong. And a nearby whisperer calls him Alpha, and we know how that goes usually. So he almost kills her, but he hears a voice that says, wait. And Beta kind of starts talking to these voices and he wants to know what path to take. And the voice tells him to have patience and faith in his strength. And Cindy from Columbus, Ohio writes, holy crap, I can't find my remote so I can turn on closed captioning. It's like I have to squint my ears every time Beta speaks. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was, it was tough. I can totally see that. I had to, you know, watch it the second time with the closed captioning on to really properly understand everything that these, uh, you know, zombie slash whisperer voices were saying, and even Beta doesn't enunciate super well. I mean, I get it. They're, they're supposed to be in this zombie horde, so they're trying to sound like zombies, but I gotta say, it's not great for the audience in general. Right. I mean, it takes practice. Obviously, all these fine whisperers are doing a fine job, and they've learned to speak this zombie-ish, zombie-glish? Right. Zombie-glish? Something anyway. like that. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get there. Uh, so they've learned to speak this language and understand it, but, uh, you know, we have more problems. Right. We're not as indoctrinated in in it. Right. Maybe it'll come someday. But we get a wide shot of the zombies following him and there are what looks to me like hundreds, maybe over a thousand zombies. And as the camera pans back, we find Aaron and Alden following them and they radio in that they are headed to Oceanside. Now, the size of this zombie horde, Jason, bothered me a little bit because I'm starting to feel like the Whisperers just have an unending supply of walkers at their disposal. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a trope, and it actually was uh, part of Dungeons & Dragons uh, for a while. I don't think so anymore. But this idea of minions, Mm -hmm. uh, it's just, you know, bad guys have minions and they're uncountable. They're just, they have an endless supply. You'll never get through all of them. Uh, It's just, they're always there and you have to fight a bunch of them in order to get to the actual uh, leadership of this group of people. Yeah. So you swing and these to have, uh, you know, uh, combat so that you'd swing and you'd roll a die to see how many of these minions you'd you'd kill in that one swing. Right. 
Uh, so it's mostly just there's a bunch of zombies. Yeah. Right? And we just have to accept that there's a bunch of zombies, and there's a lot of them, and uh, they're uncountable. You know, I, I, I hear that, and I get it. And I guess when you look, when you think back to Daryl looking down into that, um, that big uh, valley full of zombies way back, and, and he said that I think there were tens of thousands in there. There, there didn't, there wasn't that many now. So I guess if you figure they, they've lost a bunch over, over the weeks, um, and they've sort of reduced it down to this many. Plus, we have to add in the ones that Beta collected in the last episode when he played his, his music. Yep. It to, I mean, I get all that, but it still felt like, man, they just have an un, unending supply, never-ending supply of zombies. And it's always going to be way more than it seems like anyone could deal with in any situation. So yeah, it just felt like too many, but I get it. It is the minion thing. They're just, there's all, they're always there. The bad guys in James Bond movies had unending minions. Gru has unending minions that are actually called minions. (laughs) Yeah. Like Steve, isn't Steve a minion? I think Steve was one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jasper went through a minion phase. Uh, the other thing I wanted to say was, uh, imagine if you will, uh, you've got ants in your kitchen, like ants show up, uh, in your kitchen and you're really pissed off at the ants and, uh, you start smashing them. Right. And you know, you can smash as many ants as you want. They just keep coming. There's always more. You get mad and you grab a knife out of the drawer and you walk outside and you find the anthill and you start fighting the ants in the anthill. Like you're actually going at the queen to try and kill it. (laughs) You know, how long would it take you to kill all the ants before you got to the, uh, before you got to the queen. I mean, forever. You couldn't do it. Yeah. They're unending, yeah. right? And yeah. it's the same thing as if, uh, they say that uh, if uh, uh, all the population of China were to walk past you, the line would never end because of population growth. Like, you, er, the right. line would always be walking past you. Always. Jeez. Well, I mean, there's over a billion people. Yeah. Plus all the new ones that are being created all the time. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, unending, unending. And this horde, as they walk through the world, just collects more. That's right? true. Because they, they tend to bunch up, you know, us humans and therefore zombies, which we become in this universe. Uh, you know, we tend to clump. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, I, I understand all the explanations, but at the end of the day, I'm sort of feeling like I'm tired of these giant hordes that are unbeatable and then somehow they're beatable eventually, but. Well, he's got I mean, a big group. The, zombies are not threats on their own That's anymore. True. That's true. Right? N- now zombies are training fodder or a uh, plot device for like when Princess shot those bunch of zombies yep. with her uh, support area weapon saw. I think it's a saw. It's called SAW, but it's an acronym for something. I'd have to look it up. All right. Well, again, someone can write in and let us know what that is. Anyway, speaking of Princess, we go back to that group and she's leading them through some bushes with the city in the background now. And she takes them across this kind of semi-paved but really overgrown area and she starts counting her steps. The others question what she's doing and then they come across a dead horse or at least what's left of a horse. It's sort of just the head and the neck. And Princess says that it probably stepped on a mine. So the others freak out and be like, what the hell are you talking about? Uh, And at this point, Princess is now confused about her step count. So she takes out a canteen, 
takes a drink, then throws it away and it immediately explodes on, I guess, a mine. So she's taking them through a minefield. Yes. What it, well, that's pretty crazy. She must have stumbled across a uh, a military cache or something. Like that weapon that she has is definitely a military weapon. Mm-hmm. And you can't just buy landmines. Anywhere. No. Why is so there a minefield here? Available. Well, she built it, obviously. I don't think she built it. I, I never got well, that she impression. She knows the path through it. It means that she put it together. I didn't get that impression. I just figured somehow she knew the path through it. Why would she, why would she build a minefield? Like her own protection? Uh, she, probably not all there. Well, that's maybe explainable, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah well, you, maybe she thought it was funny. I don't know. You know, you know I, if I, <laughs> it's one of those things where uh, you stumble across something and uh, you, you like it, you're going to end up using it somewhere. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if uh, she stumbled across, uh, you know, an armory full of uh, firearms and stuff, and she saw like crates of landmines, she's like, "Well, fuck it, I got nothing else to do. I'm building a minefield." You know. And now she finally has some company. She's like, "I want to show them my minefield." I think if I stumbled across some kind of armory and found crates full of mines, I'd be like. I am not touching those because as soon as I do, I'm going to blow myself up. Well, if you stumbled across a crate of grenades, wouldn't you toss a couple of grenades? I'm not sure I would, man. I'd be too afraid I'd do it wrong. Now, if I stumbled across a couple of grenades of, I mean, a couple of crates of, say, bourbon, I'd probably try some of them. But I find that a little less dangerous. I'm so the opposite of you. That I is. would just ignore the the crates of bourbon or the barrels of bourbon or however <laughs> they're packaged in bulk. Uh-huh. Uh, and I would totally go for the grenades. The grenades I would, I would be careful with, obviously, mm-hmm. but, uh, and I wouldn't just throw them down the road. I'd probably get on a high place so that if I accidentally dropped one, it would still fall without, you know, outside of the range of the grenade. Right? Well, I mean, that's, So stand on a building and throw them. That's very careful of you, but, uh. You know, given the zombie apocalypse, who knows what I would find myself doing, but under normal circumstances, I'm like, I'm not touching those grenades or mines or anything like that. I don't think grenades store very well. I don't, I think it's like dynamite that if Uh, you leave them around for long enough, uh, they become dangerous, (laughs) become dangerous. Right. They're not dangerous already. Become (laughs) more dangerous, Uh volatile. Uh, so I, you know, depending on how old they were, I don't know if they have dates on grenades. (laughs) I'm not really sure. <laughs> Please. No, I wouldn't, I wouldn't think so. Please detonate before March 30th, 2021. Yeah. <laughs> best, best used by. Yeah. Well, I thought this whole minefield thing was a bit, um, fillery. Like it was, it was kind of used to give us some time to show us princess's personality in a way. And I just didn't really buy the minefield. I didn't know why it was there. Why would there be a minefield like in the city? You know, I, I, she built it. That's what I assumed. All right. I guess. Cause there wouldn't be a minefield in a city. No. That's Who my would point. do that? That's my point. She would do that. Me. I, I'm not even if sure. If anybody she would, would, she would. I, I could possibly believe that someone else did it and she just came across it. Fair. But. I guess we don't know enough about Princess yet really to say that, but the whole thing just felt a little out of place to me, and I was wondering what it was doing there. Well, I agree, except that, you know, I drew a line from, directly from military weapon that she holds and uses 
to walking through a minefield uh, and mines are military weapons that yep. it was her all along. Yeah. Okay. I guess if she has access to that kind of stuff, maybe she's using it for fun. And she built stuff, other stuff, right? Zombie tableaus. That's true. So (laughs) she's been known to be creative and to, you know, do something with her time. I mean, zombie teeth party, funny. Uh, Grenade, I mean, landmine field, not as funny. It depends on your sense of humor. I suppose it does. Anyways, Justine in NorCal wrote, said, holy crap, what does The Walking Dead have against horses? Please quit killing horses. Yeah, it's very weird that the horses ran exactly in this direction. Well, right. Even though she did actually, in fact, take them out of the way, uh, out of the way of where they were going, mm-hmm. right? Which we get to later. But uh, well, you know, it, there's it, two horses, and they followed the path of one of them. That's weird. Yeah, that is kind of weird. But that's two episodes in a row now where we've had a horse death. So Justine has a point. Stop killing horses. Yeah, it's better than little girls. Uh, okay. Uh, again, maybe depend on your perspective. It's been a while since I killed a little girl. Yeah, that's true. Anyways, we have a commercial break, and when we return, Carol and Kelly are scavenging in a car. Kelly helps her pull some wires out, and I'm not really sure what they're there for, but whatever uh, Luke needed, I guess they're trying to get out of that glove box. Mystery errand. Mystery errand, yeah. It was it was really just to get them out, because this conversation they have next was the point, I think. Carol tries to apologize for losing Connie in the mind, but Kelly says that she can survive anything and that she won't accept that she's gone. And she ends up talking about how she understands what Carol did. And Kelly tells Carol that she's heard stories of, you know, how much of a badass she is. She's kind of a lone wolf, but she, she does what she needs to do, you know? And she calls that her superpower. And she also says she understands that sometimes bad things happen. And that's just the way it goes, right? So um, I got to admit, I thought this was a really nice scene between the two of them. And what jumped out the most for me was not that it was bad before, but Angel Theory's acting, I think, is really coming along. I think she did a great job in this scene. Um, And, you know, I can't help but think that she must have been just absolutely delighted to have some one-on-one screen time with the legend that is Melissa McBride, right? (laughs) Yeah. That's that's sort of the feeling I got, but I thought she did a great job here. So I enjoyed it. I liked the conversation they had, and I thought Angel Theory was awesome. Awesome. I agree. We go back to the tower, and Negan comes over to Lydia who's there playing with Dog. It was nice to see Dog again. Yeah, Dog's not dead. Dog's not dead. I'm not sure why Dog isn't out on patrol with Daryl, but maybe it's Dog's day off. I don't know. Well, you think that that's what Dog was, that's what he's trained for, right? That's why Daryl has Dog. Yeah, I know. That's why I'm thinking. It must just be his day off because he, otherwise he'd be out there. Well, you think Dog is not feeling well, so he, you know, he's taking a personal day and then Judith is filling in for him? Yeah, could be, or, or, or. Is that why Judas is out in the woods? Filling in for dog? <laughs> filling in for dog. Or, you know, dog's one day from retirement and he's, he's, uh. <laughs> well, then he'd definitely be on patrol. He would be, that's true, because he'd have to be killed off. But we don't want to see dog die. Well, only if it's in a, if it's a cop buddy, uh, sorry, a, a buddy cop movie. Well, even then, you know? I don't want to see dog die. No, of course not. And But I do want to see Dog say, I'm getting too old for this shit. I do. That's true. I very much do. <laughs> but ultimately, I just want to see Dog out on patrol with Daryl, because Daryl and Dog are a team I can get behind. 
Yeah. Always, uh, always have been able to. Maybe the dog's not getting, uh, getting along with Norman Reedus. Maybe they're, they're arguing. Maybe, maybe they're, yeah, they can't work with that dog anymore. They're both divas and they can't work together on, on screen at the, on set at the same time. Yeah. Every time I see him, I just get mad at him. Right. All right. I can't pretend that I love dog. Uh, anyway. Oh, I was thinking of the dog's point of view. Oh yeah. Maybe it could go the other way. <laughs> I can't stand that guy. Don't make me work with him. <laughs> That's right. Anyways, uh, Negan offers Lydia some food, but she declines and she, he, you know, she tells him that she is avoiding him. And she says, I don't want to eat your rat stew, but of course it's possum. And then Negan tries to tell her that he liked Alpha, her mother. And he says that he wishes he didn't have to kill her. Um, but Lydia responds with the fact that most of them wish he'd died too. Negan, she means. So pretty harsh. Back to Princess and everybody. She's leading them through the minefield and... A zombie comes out through the fence, steps on a mine, explodes, and its head triggers another mine, which was fun. So Ezekiel reminds Princess that if she can lead them out, it would go a long way to them trusting her. And then she proceeds on a path, and they carefully follow. So far, nobody has exploded. So that's good. It is good. But would you trust somebody that led you out of a minefield that they led you into in the first place without telling you? Well, I mean, it's a tough question, you know, because Ezekiel does say, like, if you can get us out of here safely, that would go a long way for us trusting you. And it seems to be that's exactly what Princess wants. So it's, the whole thing is weird. Like, why'd she bring them in to begin with? Why is the minefield there? And now she's trying to get them out safely so that she can, like, make new friends. So the whole thing doesn't make sense to me. All right. Well, that's a good thing that she led them into a minefield then. Okay, I From guess. her perspective. Well. she has some new friends. Yeah, because this is what is forcing them to trust her because they have no other option because they can't just scatter. They'll step on a mine for sure. Good job. All right. We go back to Daryl and Judith and they're in the forest. He's training her on how to hunt things. He says that you have to look for things that don't belong. And then they find some fabric stuck to a tree. And very soon they see some walkers being led by a whisperer whom they kill. Daryl shoots the whisperer and uh, down she goes and we go to a commercial break. Cool. Um, now, is this the same whisperer, Jason, that was with... Beta earlier in the episode who he almost killed after she called him Alpha. I can't tell him apart. It's hard. I believe it's supposed to be that one though. Um, and that sort of comes up later in their conversation, but I wasn't sure the first time I watched this, but I think it is supposed to be the same one. Well, that's weird. Well, she deserted basically, right? She was freaked out. She deserted and encounters Daryl and, you know, he ends up killing her. <laughs> <laughs> so well, that'll teach you. That'll teach you. Yeah. After the commercial, we are uh, with Yumiko. She's bitching out Princess for putting them in danger, but they're basically through the minefield now. And Eugene sees a street sign and mentions that they passed Fleetwood Drive earlier, and they realize now that Princess has been leading them around unnecessarily. Um, she claims that she missed a turn a while back, so took them on the scenic route but she ends up talking about how she's been alone for a long time. She just wants some friends. And this is sort of how her life has been 
for a long time, even before the zombie apocalypse, right? She's never really connected with anybody. Eugene kind of bonds with her over this. He says the feeling is familiar to him, and, you know, they agree to continue on their mission to this garage full of transportation. Yeah, well, why not? Well, they got, you know, the ends may justify the means. I, I don't know. But, you know, Princess seems a little unstable. Uh, I don't think I would trust her. Uh, it, it would be tough, for sure. But, you know, at the end of the day here, Eugene's like, you know what? I can see myself in this woman's experience. So let's go with it. I understand where she's coming from and how she got here, I think is how he's feeling, right? Yeah. Do you have the actress's name for Princess Handy? Oh, um, not off the top of my head, no. Anyway, she did a great job. I thought she was, uh, she was fantastic. Yeah, it's Paolo, Paola or something like that. Um, oh, her character is Juanita Sanchez and played by, oh no, that's the comic version. Anyways, it's, it's Paola somebody. Uh, Either way. Anyway. Only if you had it off, off the top of your head, but uh, I thought she did a great job in this episode. Yeah. I really like her. I, I think she's a fun character, that's for sure. Uh, where are we? Um, back to Daryl and Judith. They approach the Whisperer that he shot. Turns out she's still alive at this point because he got her in the shoulder. And Daryl tries to get some information out of her. She reveals that the Horde is going to Oceanside, but she went off on her own. And she tries to say that Beta has lost it. So this is now sort of why I think this is indeed the, the whisperer that he, he almost killed. She went, she defected or went off on her own. It's like, I can't handle this anymore. And then encountered Daryl. Right. Um, Daryl decides to shoot her in the head. He kills her, which upsets Judith. And, you know, she says that he didn't have to do that. And then she's also surprised that Daryl's just going to leave her there, you know? pretty heartless. Well, the, the whisper, she also asked, you know, uh, don't shoot me in the head because, or she said, take this out of me. This is not a natural way. I want to walk after this. Yeah. So, you know, Daryl is kind of denying her, her last request of becoming a zombie. He is indeed. Either way, like all this stuff just upsets Judith though, because she's not really quite ready for this, you know, random, random's not the right word, but um, heartless murdering of people. Yeah, well, she will be. There's a harsh world. It will. <laughs> She'll have to get used to it. That's right. There's, you know, by the time she grows up, this is going to be normal. Totally normal. Yeah. Uh, back to Beta. He's leading the horde. He's chanting faith, watch, learn. He's hearing the voices still. They're telling him to watch. We find out that Aaron and Alden are still following them from a distance. And they're talking about whether this plan will work. So another reference to the plan which we don't know is if it's anything more than just follow the horde and find out where they're going. Well, it has to work because any plan that the audience doesn't know about works. Any plan that the audience knows about doesn't work. That's true. So we only know that the plan exists, but we don't really know what it is. Exactly. Yeah. And we don't know what Aaron, uh, Aaron Carroll is on. Like we don't, they're looking for wires. Well. Like I need, I need some more wire. Yeah. Anyway, maybe on some kind of mystery errand as well. That's true. That's true. We don't know what's going on there. But Alden and Aaron realize that the Horde is changing direction, and now they're going to the tower. So um, they, they decide that they have to radio, or they try to radio people to warn them, but they can't. They decide that they have to run off, 
and suddenly they're surrounded by whisperers, and one of them points a gun at Aaron, I think. So they're basically captured, it seems like, and they're not going to be able to get back to warn everybody. Yeah. So they're walking through the woods, mm-hmm. right? As far as I can tell, they're walking through the woods and they, it looks like they got their heads on a swivel, right? They're looking around, they're being careful. Uh, they're, you know, making sure that, uh, mm-hmm. you know, nobody sneaks up on them. Right. All of a sudden they're surrounded and yep. there's a gun in their face. Yep. That's that kind of, it, you know, if the camera doesn't see it, neither do the characters. And it, it kind of pisses me off. I know. When, when they do that, cause there's no way, like keep your head on a swivel do not just keep looking in one direction and let somebody sneak up on you. I know. Dumbass. It happens a lot though. I mean, zombies come out of nowhere, characters seemingly looking straight at them. And then all of a sudden they turn their head and there's one right there. It, it happens all the time. If the camera can't see it, the characters can't see it. Yeah. And okay. you know, I don't know. That only works in a comedy. It, right. It, it is funny in comedies. This is not a comedy. Yes. So you can do that in a comedy. Yeah. Uh, or an adventure of some kind. Uh, and <laughs> I'm thinking of the scene in the, uh, the Holy Grail when the, there's two guards that are standing there and out of the woods, one of the characters is running at them and it's run, he's running at them and then sh- shot of the guards, shot of the guy running and he's still way, way far away. Yep. Shot of the guards, shot of the guy, he's still running way, way far away, obviously retreading the same ground he was just running through. Shot of the guards and then all of a sudden he gets stabbed. The guard gets stabbed. Yeah, he's right there. <laughs> he's right there. <laughs> so that kind of thing is funny because it was Monty Python involved uh-huh. and they were by, you know, uh, definition funny. Right. I, I agree. It, it's sort of, it's okay in that respect, but sort of annoying in this one. Um, now, the reason for Beta's horde deciding to abandon the plan to go to Oceanside and head to the tower, or, I mean, I guess they don't know where they're going, but they see a cat cross the road and they decide to follow the cat? Is that what they're doing? Well, vision, uh, visions are seeing Beta. Maybe the other way around. Uh, I don't know. If you see a cat running across the road in front of you, don't you follow it? Well, yeah, but no, I don't know. I <laughs> it, it just I can't even explain it. Like he he's he's having he's talking to these voices. It's kind of like the horde is communicating with him in a way. Um, but they wouldn't know where to go. They go where they're led, right? But I guess the cat is a sign or something because zombies would follow a cat potentially. Is, is, did the cat ever, is there something I'm missing here that, that would explain why the cat would be important to Beta or, or lead him to follow it back to the tower where they're hiding? No, no. there's no two dots to connect. I'm, I just wasn't sure because it seems like the most logical thing to do would be to continue on their path to Oceanside and hope that they're there. And when they find they're not, well, then decide what to do. But anyways, if there's something more to it, I'm not seeing it. But either way, they, uh, they, they decide to head that way. And uh, then Aaron and Alden get captured and we go to a commercial break. Yep. When we return, Lydia comes back to Negan back at the tower. She's super pissed at him. And Negan suggests that she hit him. He says that she has to mourn her mother and it'll make her feel better. So Lydia says that she only did it, uh, that he only did it because it would make him a hero to these people. He 
she basically streams screams, you know, how could you say you like her when I hated her? I hated my own mother. And she starts pounding on his chest and they end up hugging as she cries. I, I hate that so much when the, that happens in movies and television. Yeah. When it's the, the angry flailing and all they really need is a hug. Yep. It's just that that's not reality. That never, I don't know if it, you know, right in, if you've ever witnessed that or experienced that in reality, I don't think it has ever happened. But you do Not see once. it on TV and movies. I mean, all the time, really. Yeah. Two people that hate each other, enemies. What? Come together. Not, not even hate each other, but just angry. You yeah. know, two people or one person that is angry and flailing and you just have to get through the flailing uh, in order to embrace them in a hug. And then they, you know, they release all their anger and then accept the hug. It never happens. When somebody's angry and they're flailing and someone tries to restrain you, they're going to flail some more. They flail harder. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it just, it irritates me when I see that in, uh, in TV and movies. Yeah. Well, it, it even seemed especially easy here. You know, she pounds on him for a second and he eventually just opens up and they embrace in this hug and she cries and, you know, lets it all out. We go back over to Princess and the gang and she opens a garage door to a garage full of transportation, Jason. Yeah. It's not cars. Oh, I was hoping for hot rods, right? I was hoping for Mustangs and Maseratis and Ducatis and just (laughs) something, you know, uh, a supercar garage, I think would have been awesome. Instead, we got a garage full of broken down bicycles. Yeah, baby. And that's okay. I mean, Eugene does make the point that a bicycle is going to help because they can go at 15 miles per hour instead of two or whatever walking speed is. So... You know, in this universe, uh, in this apocalypse, I'm surprised they're not using bikes instead of horses, frankly. Honestly, yeah. You don't have to feed them. They're maybe probably easier to maintain. They should use bikes. incredibly energy efficient. Uh Uh-huh. Like for the amount of calories that you have to burn to cycle as opposed to walking or running uh, is a lot less. So no, bikes are are perfect. Is cycling... More, le- does cycling burn less calories than walking? Oh, I don't know. I think it depends on, I, I have no idea. What I, I know is it's an efficient mode of transport. You can get farther on right. X number of calories than you can. Right. Uh, so maybe walking does burn more calories because it takes a lot longer if you to get from point A to point B. Oh yeah. If you go the same distance for sure. Yeah. Either way, bikes are pretty, are super efficient and they'll get you around and it's a reasonable speed too. So, yeah. Um, they... It reminds me, this bike shop reminded me, there was a bike shop on Queen Street uh, West out by Trinity Bellwoods Park. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was this, this bike shop where the bike shop, the shop itself on, on Queen Street was so full of bike parts, piled up bike parts that uh, the shop owners had to repair and build bikes on the sidewalk. <laughs> That's where they, they were building their bikes was on the sidewalk because there was no room in the actual shop to, uh, to do anything because it was just filled with bike crap. And I remember, uh, this bandmate, uh, that I uh, playing in a band with Cassandra, she bought a bike from these guys and she brought it home and said, it's a pretty nice bike. They, uh, they had it out there. They just built it from a bunch of spare parts. You totally just bought a stolen bike. Well, you know, absolutely. And this bike shop was shut down as, uh, bike thefts in Toronto. I, uh, they were incredibly high. I don't know if they are still, 
but there was a crackdown on uh, these bike shops that were, you know, uh, tearing down and rebuilding stolen bikes yeah. uh, and selling them. That was one of them. I can remember a time growing up, yeah, where bike theft was just a plague on the city. Bikes were being stolen constantly all the time. And when I was growing up, there was a bicycle shop a couple of blocks away from where I lived. It, they sold high-end bikes, like really expensive racing bikes and things like that. And apparently they used to sell bicycles to people in the neighborhood. And part of the sales process was, you know, get your address and stuff like that. And then they'd go steal the bikes back from them. Like <laughs> nice. these guys were just total a-holes. Uh, and, and the place is long shut down, but. Um, yeah. I lived in Toronto for about 20 years. I live just outside of Toronto now. And I had five bikes stolen and a pair of handlebars. <laughs> Came out to my locked up bike and somebody had just snipped the wires for the brakes and the, the gears, unscrewed the handlebars and buggered off with them. Ah, bastards, man. That was a, that was a pisser. And five whole bikes. Like gone. Yeah, yeah. Oh, one of them I left at work for more than a year. So, and it was gone. So maybe it was management that stole the bike. I rode it to work and then locked it up outside and didn't ride it home. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot it there. What are you going to do? Oh, I was just like, ah, I'll do that tomorrow. Ah, I'll do that tomorrow. Ah, it's winter. Yeah. <laughs> okay, now it's spring. And then, oh, my bike is gone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So was it stolen? Maybe <laughs> more, you know, gotten rid of. Yeah, yeah. Removed. All right. Well, anyways, um, they come to this garage full of bicycles and, you know, Eugene and Ezekiel realize, as I said, that this is better than nothing. So, you know, Princess came through on her promise. Ultimately, at the end of the day, Yumiko goes to apologize to her. Princess says that her people skills are rusty and, you know, she's going to get better. But Yumiko asks her to join them. And Princess is very excited by this. She wants to go on this mission. And she mentions that she has supplies, a cool spear, and a stash of candy, which of course gets Eugene's attention because he's been looking for candy. Yes, he has. You got Eugene's attention for That's sure. Right. Back to Daryl and Judith in the forest. She is still upset about leaving that whisperer, and they start talking about Michonne. Judith tells Daryl that she went to help some people she met, um, and that she didn't want to tell, tell Daryl because he might leave too. And, uh, he promises that he won't leave or he says that he won't leave, but he can't promise it because he doesn't know what's going to happen. And he tells Judith that all the people there with are her family and that they'll do anything for her. And that one day she's going to have to do anything for them. Right. So there's another scene. I, I liked this one. It was sort of a, touching little scene between these two, you know, who have really, really, um, come together as, as close friends, you know, and in, in some ways a parental relationship in other ways, not so much. It seems like they're buddies more than anything, but, um, I thought it was nice. I thought it was nice that Judith more or less told, uh, Daryl what Michonne was doing. She of course didn't mention that she's hunting for Rick, Right. Uh, because that probably is the thing that would get Daryl to go, if anything. And Judith wants to keep that secret for now. Um, but I liked it. I thought it was a nice, nice scene between these two. I agree. I have a question though. Sure. When Michelle, when Michelle left, uh, who was appointed guardian? Michelle? Michonne. Michelle. Michonne. <laughs> when Michelle left. Yeah. 
Michonne left. Who who was who did she appoint guardian of her children? Well, you know, I don't think there anything was made official, but who better she just than told Judith? I'm leaving. Yes. Good luck. It stay with Uncle Daryl. Right. Somebody's got to be in charge of these kids, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, everyone is in charge of somebody. Well, I mean, we just got Judith and RJ, and Judith's in charge of RJ, and Daryl is in charge of Judith. All right. Well, where's RJ? Well, she's out in the woods with Daryl. Haven't seen him for a long time. So he's probably hanging out with um, Jerry's kids and him and Nabila. Okay. That's what I figure anyway. That, that's that's rude. <laughs> I mean, you know what? Everyone has a job. But well, yeah, but you you know, you plan for or at least ask somebody to mind your children while you're off, you know, hunting for your dead maybe not uh husband. Well, listen. Uh, that must have been what happened in the scene between Judith talking to Lydia and then being out in the forest. She went to Nabila and said, hey, look, I'm going to go out, hang out in the forest. Although she, she said she left a note for Father Gabe, I think. So maybe in that note, it was like, <laughs> please watch RJ while I'm gone. <laughs> okay. Well, I don't know. This is, uh, you know, it's been six years that uh, Alexandria has been working together and as a, as a community. Maybe uh, it's all implied that uh, somebody is in charge of daycare, mm-hmm. childcare, uh, when other people are absent. Right. So just this absentee is taking a little bit longer. So it just, it points, it's another finger that is pointing at Michonne uh, for being a bad mother. Not only did she abandon her children, but she didn't provide any kind of care uh, for them. Aye. She just just left them. It's like, ah, somebody will look after them. I think, I think it's a stretch to say that we didn't see that happen. Therefore, Michonne is a bad mother. I think she's just a fine mother based on the assumption that, you know, she knows or ultimately assigned someone to take care of these kids. She just talked to Judith on the radio for like three minutes. Yeah. Well, that was the whole conversation. Like she didn't say, Hey, let me talk to Nabila or Hey, uh, Anything about that. It's just like, oh, I finally got you. I'm buggering off now. I think we can assume, though, that in this current situation that they're in, they have a plan for everything, right? So if if Michonne disappears one day, there's a backup parent waiting in the wings. And that's probably where we're at now. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm, I better, you know, it makes me want to plan for the day that I feel like not being here anymore and I just leave <laughs> for, for uh, your somebody in, inevitable disappearance. Is that what you're yeah, saying? For my inevitable, <laughs> uh, you know, fake death. Right. Uh, no, not even that because that's a will, right? If I just leave and, you know, uh, and say, I'm going to run an errand, I need to go buy a pack of smokes. I'll be back. And then I never come back that, uh, there's a plan in place for childcare. Well, you better set that up. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to work on that. Good. Um, all right. Well, uh, where are we? Suddenly, they're talking. Of course, Daryl's radio comes to life. He grabs it. We get kind of a broken message there from Father Gabe. We hear him say, you know, come back, and they've surrounded and stuff like that. So we cut over to the tower, which is the hospital. We see Beta and his horde show up at the hospital, start approaching the front door, and episode over. Uh, so there you have it. They've arrived at the hospital. Everyone's still in there. And Beta and his giant horde are there to, I guess, attack them and take them out. 
Yeah. Does this look like the same hospital that Emily Kinney died in? Todd in the Twin Cities writes, Jason, Holy crap, Beta is leading the horde to Grady Memorial Hospital. They'll shamble into the same door through which Daryl carried out Beth's body just as Maggie and company arrived in episode called Coda, season five, episode eight. Well, what a coincidence. It's exactly the same location. He, uh, I saw a screenshot of, from each episode and... While the entrance is slightly different, mostly it's just the um, vine growth on the side of the building that's different, but it's the same hospital. All right. Well, good. So good for you. Grady for, Memorial Hospital. For recognizing that. Yeah, Grady Memorial. Why not? When you have a hospital, you might as well use it five seasons apart for different locations. Yeah. And I have another question. Sure. And a, an accolade. The uh, wardrobe department, how much work does it take to make that much muggy, dirty, ripped clothing. For all like, the, for the horde? For all the extras, for all the horde. I mean, that's such a lot of work. It is, but I mean, that's their job. That's fine. And, and I would question how many actual extras are there versus how much of that horde is digital. Well, there was a bunch, at least 20 or 30. Sure. That still seems like a lot of work to me. Yeah, but fair. Then again, you know, just doing laundry right now seems like a lot of work to me. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Keeping your clothes all ripped and torn and dirty like that, it's a lot of work. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what I mean by laundry. Yeah, of course. Just to, you know, you know, buy new clothes and then make them all dirty and grubby and go out in the backyard, stuff. roll around in the dirt for a while. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Good. Well, I don't know, but that's an interesting question. I would like to know if anyone's got any inside information when they shoot a horde scene like that, that's fairly up close. Um how many actual people are there and then how many are filled in with special effects? That's a good question. Well, and, the wide shots had, or were obviously special effects, like you, well, you yeah. copy and paste people and stuff, but the, the close-ups look, to me, they all look like real shambling people. Mm-hmm. Well, that's with, either really good special effects or they just have a lot of them. Yeah. It's true. So, so that's it, Jason. That is Episode 15 of season 10 of The Walking Dead, which is the last one for a little while. And I got to say, you were absolutely right last time we podcasted when you said that this is going to feel unresolved. It's going to not really feel like an ending. Um, And now I kind of have that feeling. I'm not saying that's bad necessarily because I know that there's more to come. It's just kind of a bummer that we have to wait this indeterminate amount of time before we see the resolution to all this, because it does feel a little bit unfinished to me. It, it does. And that's okay. It is. You know, they didn't mean to finish it here. No, I know. So yeah, we'll, we'll get it. We'll get it eventually. You're right. But, I just, I want it sooner is all. Yeah. Just as long as the show doesn't get canceled between now and then. <laughs> okay. But then if they did that, they'd still release the episode. Oh my God. But, I would hope so. <laughs> <laughs> at least on the DVDs, right? DVDs. Oh boy. Even that's showing my age. Release it on, what do they release things on now? Blu-ray or digital. That's a good question. Do they even still put out DVDs? I'm not sure they do. I don't know. Anyways, other than that though, I thought this was a fine episode. It wasn't great. It like wasn't really great, but it was nowhere near, you know, poor. I thought it was just sort of, uh, you know, the upper end of, of pretty good. So um, just fine. It's clearly leading into a big season finale though. And, uh, really we just have to find out 
how our heroes escape this situation with all these zombies at their door and uh, what they're going to do. Who dies, who doesn't, and where they go after this. And of course- If anybody dies. If if anybody dies. But also, of course, what happens with um, Ezekiel, Princess, Eugene, and Yumiko and what they end up doing. And if they meet up with Stephanie or not, I'll be- curious to find out what happens there too. So a bunch of- That's a lot of story to resolve. I mean, there's going to be some non-resolution, I think for the, uh, the Eugene storyline is going to be, uh, that's going to be our, uh, our ending, right? Our, a, what's going to happen? Uh, ending is going to be Eugene meeting up with uh, Stephanie. You think so? Yeah, you mm-hmm. could be right because I, I still sort of feel like that is a big part of once this whisperer stuff is all resolved, that's going to be a big part of what, um, uh, catapults us into like the next major storyline of this show. Now, that being said, AMC has put out some trailers, uh, and some teasers for episode 16 already. And I'll be honest, people, I, I didn't watch them for a couple of days, but then I started hearing things and I lost my will and I broke down. And so I watched them. I do not recommend watching these because I feel like they are unnecessarily spoilery. Really? Yes. And I'm not going to talk about what it is here. There are some things that have been the news for a while that you might speculate are going to happen. Um, but just don't watch them. If you don't like spoilers at all, stay away from the teasers for episode 16. Just wait, be patient. And I think you'll be better off when it does finally air and you get to see it. Okay. So I'll, I'll heed that advice. And stay away. Yeah, good. I mean, I know you don't even use the internet anyways, Jason. You probably well, have no idea my, what I'm talking about. Well, that's my default position is to, well, I use the internet. I just don't look at Walking Dead stuff. Oh, yeah, fair. I'm too busy looking at porn all day. Oh, uh, man. If I only had the time. <laughs> True. <laughs> <laughs> well, I say don't watch them. I I, I did only because I heard all about what what the content was, and I'm like, oh God, if I know this already, I might as well watch it. But if I didn't know, I would have been really disappointed if I'd seen them. So, um, yeah, stay away. Okay. Um, otherwise, uh, any other thoughts on this episode before we wrap it up for the night there, Mr. Miles? I think I agree with you that it was on the upper end of, okay, pretty good, but, uh, not fantastic. So I, I look forward to, uh, the resolution of the Whisperer's storyline mm-hmm. and the, uh, what's the opposite of resolution? Unresolved? No, I'm thinking of something that starts new. Uh, um, and Inception, co- the Inception of the Stephanie storyline. Yeah, there you go. Um, I agree. I totally agree with all that. I can't wait to see how we wrap one up and, and kick off the next. And Princess is going to be a, is she on the main cast from now on, or just, uh, she's going to be just in one more episode and then killed off? Um, I suspect that she is currently a guest star and will be made a series regular at some point. I don't expect her to die right away. Okay, good. Cause I, I like her. Good. That's exciting. They got rid of Alpha, who you never were on board with and brought in Princess, who you, who you enjoy. Uh, that is correct, sir. Awesome. All right. Well, just before we wrap things up here, I just wanted to send a quick thank you out to Dan N, who became a new supporter on Patreon. Thank you so much, Dan, for your generous support of the podcast. It is very much appreciated. If you want to be like Dan 
you can become a patron too by going to patreon.com slash talking dead where you can become or make a small monthly pledge and help support the show it's a great way to do that you can also send a one-time contribution by going to talkingdeadpodcast.com slash paypal and and doing that there that's a great way to do it if sort of a monthly thing is not your cup of tea uh, but also in these trying times you know if um if if supporting a podcast is not within your current budget by all means do not send your support our way being a listener is just you know more than enough so uh, if you have something extra we really really appreciate it if not keep listening write us reviews maybe on itunes that would be just as cool all right so back on thursday later this week with listener feedback it is the thursday night before what's it good friday it's good friday this uh weekend <laughs> it's uh what do they call this? Easter. Easter. <laughs> it's Easter weekend. So we're wrapping up here just before Easter weekend. Um, so uh, Thursday night, we'll be recording the feedback show. If you would like to take part in that, it would be fantastic. You can send your feedback by visiting our website at talkingdeadpodcast.com and clicking on send voicemail at the top. That'll let you send a message in via your web browser, your computer. You can also record a message on your phone if you want and send it in by email. And the email address for that and all other correspondence, of course, by email would be talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com. Check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash the talking dead, where, you know, after every episode, I post a what did you think of tonight's episode kind of thing. And, and people respond to those, which is great. And I also post all of our podcast episodes there too. So if for some reason, you uh, get it that way. That is fantastic. All right. That is going to do it for this edition of The Talking Dead, everyone. Um, but we've got the feedback to do. Looking forward to that. We will do that on Thursday. Until then, uh, thanks, everyone, for tuning in. My name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Ciao.